again to Jeff and the band. Thank you for coming in and, and leading us in song. Even just that last song that we sang, we can count on one thing. And we're going to talk about that thing today, and we're going to dive into that. But um, as before we get into that, uh, as Brad mentioned, my name's Georgie, and uh, my wife and I kind of lead the children's ministry along with a whole host of awesome volunteers. And so we just kind of have the privilege of putting them together and putting them in the spot where they can serve. So if you're interested in that, uh, I'm usually back at the rug. You can come and find me. We don't really need any more teachers, per se. We just need crowd control. And if you have kids, I have four boys. If you want to volunteer for crowd control, you can come over to my house as well So um, and help us with that. But anyways, all that to say, I'm excited to be here. But I'm just like you. I have a job. I work 40 hours a week. I uh, manage a warehouse over at Meals from the Heartland. And I do a lot of kind of linear thinking. I like from A to B to C and just kind of going in straight lines. And so Brad gave me this passage. There's a lot of metaphors and a lot of pieces we're going to bring together. So I'm going to do my best to uh, really just to exalt Christ and hopefully just kind of lay a foundation and maybe peel back some layers for you to see the beauty of what Peter's trying to bring out and really make Christ beautiful. Even before we get there, as Brad brought out last week in the first part of Peter chapter 2, he just talked about God's word. And as believers, we ought to long for that. And last week, we got together with some friends and Brad, and we kind of dove into that. We just asked some questions together, kind of kicked off the community group and uh, uh, week and just asked some questions. And we kind of just went around the room. And to be honest, all of us said, man, we need to hunger more for God's word. And just like all of you, we all had you know, busyness, and we had kids and schedules. But let me just, at the very onset, just say, like, this is God's word. This is his word. This isn't Brad's word. It's not the word of Park Church. This word is perfect. It's eternal. And I think one day when we get to the end, when we get to heaven, we will look back right now on our busyness right now, and we will say, I wish I would have read God's word more. We will think back of the excuses that are in your mind right now in this week when you wake up in the morning and you want coffee or you're just running kind of like I am. I just like to go. And we will say, mm, we missed it. So if you don't hear anything else today, make this a priority for you. You will be eternally grateful. So as we come to this, this is a special word. This is God's word, not the word I'm I'm saying right now, but this book right here is powerful. You will do yourself so much good by spending more time in it. It has more to say about you and our culture than anything else, more than Facebook and Fox News and CNN and TikTok. This will teach you more than any of those things. So make this a priority. And one of the things I love about the Bible as I've just read it more and I need to read it more, but, you know, I'm 37 years old and I've been able to spend some time in it. I love the themes that are connected from Genesis all the way through Revelation. We can see God's plan from the beginning, and he has these themes that run through it. And it's, a, it's an amazing piece of literature. Even if you disagree with theology that's in here, just the literature itself is beautiful and amazing, and the poetry, and all those things. And then you add in the fact that it was written over 1,500 years. The span from the beginning to the end was 1,500 years with over 35 authors. 
and three different languages in its original content. It's no wonder that the Bible is the number one selling book throughout time. And guess what? It's also the most controversial book of all time. And so people have gone to war over things in this, and people have died for what is in this book. So the Bible is amazing, and we're going to look at one of those themes today. Just an example of a theme that runs through Scripture is the Lamb of God. We can see that beginning in Genesis. It's talked about in the Old Testament as God institutes the sacrificial system, and then they begin to kill these lambs. And then Jesus is introduced by John the Baptist as Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as Jesus is talked about in the book of Revelation, we will one day worship Jesus as the Lamb who was slain, but the Lamb who conquered. And he is standing there. And so let's have that big picture, that eternal view of who Jesus is and who God is in the gospel. And let that kind of drown out all the busyness and the small little things that if you can't even really calculate in your day because they just happen. This is so much bigger than that. This is so much more important. So we're going to talk about, Peter brings out one of those themes in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 3. But that theme is brought into the Bible back in the Old Testament. And that theme is the cornerstone. And he brings out how Christ is the cornerstone. It's first introduced in the Old Testament. Peter's going to bring out three different locations. Psalm 118 and then Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 28. And there's a couple others in the Old Testament. But these are the three that he brings out. So we're just going to, I'm going to read those for you. And they're just simple verses here. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Very simple. When we think about the cornerstone, if you've been in the church, that's probably the phrase that comes to your mind. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And just something for you to begin to kind of think about and marinate on. Ask yourself the question, who are those builders? Who are those builders? As we go to Isaiah chapter 8, it says, He will be a sanctuary but for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Israel. So now we can kind of see that, that this cornerstone is going to be something, it's, it's a trap. It's something that people are going to stumble over. And then Isaiah 28, verse 16 says, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, the one who believes will be unshakable. And so now we can see that this stone is going to cause some people to stumble. It's a, it's a tripping hazard. It's a trap for them. But it's also very, very precious. And we're going to dive into that more. So that's Old Testament stuff. Then Jesus, in the, in the book of Luke, he takes this phrase and he puts his stamp on it in Luke chapter 20, as he's talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and Jesus is just a marvelous teacher. He has a great way of taking a simple parable and just putting it right in your face. I mean, just perfectly. So I'm just going to read what he says here. Uh, Luke chapter 20. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to uh, just read it for you. But he says, Now he began to tell the people this parable. And as I read this, think about the bigger themes that he's talking about. 
a man planted a vineyard and leased it to tenant farmers, and he went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers so that they might give him some fruit from the vineyard. But the farmers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Think Old Testament prophets. He sent yet another servant, but they beat that one too and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, but they wounded this one too and they threw him out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw him, they discussed it among themselves and they said, Ah, this is the heir. He is the one. Let's kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those farmers and give the vineyard to others. But when they heard this, they said, this must never happen. But he looked at them and he said, then what is the meaning of the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but whomever it falls on, it will crush them. Then the scribes and the chief priests looked, looked for a way to get their hands on him in that hour because they knew um, that hour because they knew he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people, and so they looked for a time. You can't read the Bible, and you can't read the Gospels, and you can't read about Jesus and not see that Jesus is controversial, right? I mean, he just puts you in a corner. You have to deal with him. He's either going to be something that you stumble over or that you're going to build your life around. He's not interested in just kind of coming alongside of you and you take your things and he'll take his and this is just going to be happily ever after. He is not that type of guy. He is not that type of saver. You have to choose. And so then Peter introduces this theme in his book. So we see Old Testament in the gospel and now Peter, after Christ has died and gone back into heaven, now Peter is kind of tying this together and bringing out these layers that I hope to uh, unpack here today. So let's dive into 1 Peter chapter 2. If you would stand with your Bibles or your phones, your devices. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, I'll read this. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, a precious stone, stone and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do let me pray for us lord i pray for this time together i thank you for the people here I thank you for your church and your word. There's a lot here. There's a lot of layers. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help me keep my thoughts simple and concise and that people would be blessed by the preaching of your word today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. 
One of the things, as we think about the cornerstone, we can't talk about the cornerstone and not talk about the temple. The temple was instituted back in the Old Testament. Uh, God had Solomon build it. And then about 400 years later, King Nebuchadnezzar came in with Babylon and destroyed the temple. They desecrated it, and they took over. And then the Jews were sent into exile for about 70 years. And get this, during that time of exile, portions of Isaiah were written. You catch that? Portions of Isaiah was, were written when these people were in exile, when the temple was destroyed. And now in the New Testament, Peter, while the Jews are in exile, they're, they're fleeing, he's quoting that. And so there's these connection dots there. Catch that. Follow that with me. And so, um, so the temple was built, and then it was destroyed, and then the people are in exile, and portions of Isaiah is written. Um, and then it's uh, Babylon's taken over, and the Jews, are, they're allowed to go back and rebuild it. So remember Nehemiah, they rebuild the walls. And then that temple lasts for about 400 years, and right towards the, four or 500, right towards the end of that, Christ comes on the scene, and they had been doing sacrifices for generations, Christ comes on the scene in the New Testament and he says he's the Lamb of God and he is killed on the cross and then he raised from the dead and as he's on the cross the curtain is torn in two. Shortly after that the book of Peter is written and kind of right during this time I think maybe slightly after this book is written the temple is destroyed again and it hasn't been rebuilt since. So that's one of the themes there is the temple and the tabernacle and those types of things. And right now, even this day, current Jews, they are raising money present day right now to rebuild the temple. They want to rebuild the temple. Interesting, who owns the land that, that, that they want to build that on? Muslims. Very interesting. Can you see how like God's plan is just like slowly coming together? I hope you can kind of see that as we kind of take a step back and just see. Sometimes in those moments it's hard to see, but take a step back and God is always working. Even right now, the Bible is done being written, but God's plan is at work here in Des Moines, in your life, in your family. God is at work. So we talk about the temple, but we can't just talk about the temple. We also have to think about the the day that um, was most important to the Jewish culture was called Yom Kippur. It was the Day of Atonement. It was the one day where a priest could finally go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice. They would kill animals and then sprinkle the, the blood. Did you hear Peter talk about sprinkling of blood in chapter 1? The sprinkling of blood happened to pay for the sins of the people. One man, once a year. Sound similar to somebody else? One man, the Christ Jesus, died once and for all, and sacrifices are finished. Hebrews tells us that he sat down at the right hand. The Jewish priest would never sit down in the Holy of Holies. He would be killed. But our Savior, our Redeemer, he is sitting there, and he has finished what was intended. Now, this Day of Atonement, it was a very special day in Leviticus. You don't have to read it. Chapter 16, it says, For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be 
clean before the Lord from all sins, and the priest who anointed and consecrated as priest in his uh, father's place shall make atonement wearing holy linen. I mean, these priests, before they even could get dressed, they, they did this whole bathing ceremony, and then they would get dressed, and then there was bloodshed, and then they would undress, and they would bathe again, and it was just back and forth, and it was about God's holiness. And to be honest, our culture just, we're not familiar with that, but let me just say that we still have that same holy God. Okay? So our big idea today, if I were to try to summarize that as I kind of lay the foundation, our big idea is when we are connected to Christ, we are then connected to each other and and we are exiles in this world. When we are connected to Christ, two things happen. We're connected to each other as the body of Christ and we then become exiles in this world. Our citizenship is no longer here in Des Moines. It's no longer here on this earth. How many of you are um, transplants to Des Moines? Like this is your, you weren't born here. I am one of them. I moved from Wisconsin, gosh, no, 12 years ago, something like that. It's crazy to think about. Um, yeah, how many of you, how many of you are first generation Christians? You're the first one. Maybe your parents weren't. Maybe they were kind of Christians, but you would say, I am the very first one. My parents would fall into that category. My parents um, kind of grew up in a different church, kind of taught the gospel, but not really, and then they got connected to a Bible study, and they became a Christian, and, um, and we switched churches, and that was a big undertaking. If you've ever met a first-generation Christian, there's a big cost factor there, and that cost factor we're going to see today. So let's kind of, hopefully I've painted a little bit of an Old Testament picture for you. We can't look at the Jewish system and not talk about Old Testament stuff. And so as we get to verse 4, finally, you're thinking, let's get to the text. As we get to verse 4, um, he just starts out. He says, as you come to him, as you come to Christ, as we come to Christ. Now think about these people. They are leaving, they're fleeing because they're in danger, but they don't know what they're going to. So it's interesting that Peter would kind of use this text or say this because they, they don't know where they're going physically, but spiritually, they are coming to Christ, right? They are coming to him, and that's what he's getting at. As we come to Christ, now put yourself in this situation. Maybe you who moved here to Des Moines. Think about all the things that you're thinking about. You're weighing the options of, is this job good enough to move my family away? I, I know so much here, right? The, maybe it's the hometown, maybe you just moved from college. There are a lot of things to consider. And you have to kind of figure out, is it worth it? Now put yourself in these people's situations. They're leaving all of those things because of Christ. Because they're claiming to follow this Jesus who's a rebel. Today we would call this man a terrorist as far as what the, the ways that the Jews viewed him because he's destroying their system. This system that's been in place for hundreds of years, this one man has simply dismantled. And you think about these Jews, guess what? They're literally, all of them, first-generation Christians, all of them. And so they have to count the cost of, my parents, they're not going to follow Jesus, but am I? Am I going to move my family out? And my grandparents are still around. What are they going to say about us? We might never see them again. 
There's a cost to follow Jesus back then and certainly today. And let's not glance over that. Let's not just make this a little too friendly when, uh, when we just kind of bring Jesus in with everything else. That's not the way he works. In fact, let me give you two examples, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, that we just kind of glance over. One of them is a very famous passage in the Old Testament when the Jews are leaving Egypt, the Exodus, when they're crossing the Red Sea, right? You can read about that in, um, in Exodus. When they do that, it's estimated that, um, let me find the passage here. And the people of Israel journeyed, uh, and there were 600,000 men. If you kind of, you know, add in women and children, a conservative amount is about 2 million people. 2 million Jews are going to leave Egypt. After the 10 plagues, Moses is going to lead them out. Get this. About 80% of the Jews stayed in Egypt. Jewish historians would say that 80% stayed in Egypt. Why did they stay there? Easy. Simple, convenient, comfortable. Maybe they've drifted away. Maybe they've just kind of melted, Christ well, it wasn't Christianity then, but just kind of their Jewish system has just kind of melted in. And you know what? You know what? This road's a little too tough to go down, so I'm just going to kind of find a way to just be, just kind of make everything fit nicely together. 80% stayed. A New Testament passage, when Jesus fed the 5,000, right after that, he began to talk about how he is the bread of life. You know, these masses were following him. He tried to get away on the other side of the sea, and they just showed up. They just found him. Shortly after that, as he makes these um, statements that he is the bread of life, everyone disappeared. They just left, right? And so if we're coming to this Jesus without that understanding that he is king, we have deceived ourselves. He is king. And he says in Matthew, he says to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He is in charge. For whoever wants to save his life, they will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, they will find it. So as Peter writes, these people, as you come to him, as you come to Christ, they're leaving certainty and security and stableness and routine to follow Jesus and to go out. But notice how when we look back at Isaiah, how Christ is described. He is described as a sanctuary, as a tested stone. Like the, the journey that's before you, it's untested for you. You've never done that before. But the one that you're going to, he has been tested and he has found amazing. He is a precious cornerstone. He is a sure foundation. And the one who believes will be unshakable. That's the cornerstone. That's the savior that we have that's going to lead us through life. And I know there's a lot of stories in here there's a lot of people, maybe a lot of uncertainty in your life, whether you've lived in Des Moines forever or this is your first week, I'm not sure, but, and, and just trials that come up that are going to shake you. Let's take confidence. Peter is pointing these people to the confidence, not in them, but in Christ. And take that a step further. He's not pointing them to the Jewish system anymore. He's pointing them to the Savior. Do you see that? He's pointing them to Jesus. So as we come to him, there is a cost factor. 
that we need to consider. It's also kind of interesting when you look at this of why Peter would do this. You know, why would he take this metaphor? Well, Peter's name was, he was called the rock, right? And then he's also kind of the one who would, he would stumble over himself. Uh, we see this as he uh, um, denied Christ three times and as he, in the ministry, just kind of jumped in maybe a little too quickly. Um, so it's, that's just kind of another layer here. The Jews, they were, they were considered atheists during that time because they weren't worshiping idols like everybody else, right? And so Nero, as he had burned these people, he had just started to lay this foundation of distrust with the Christians, this persecution. When you look over the history of the Christian church, when persecution is happening, guess what? The church is growing. When there's just complacency and routine and comfort, not so much, right? And, and what, what time are we at in, in American history? I think things are going to be ratcheting up if we can take a temperature and see what's, what's coming ahead. All right, so that's just the first four words. I, I promise the next point we'll cover more. Um, let's go to verse, uh, the second part there. He says, you are a living stone rejected, or Christ is a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So now he's focusing on, on this chosen race. He's focusing in on the people. Remember, these are Jewish people. They're just indoctrinated in generation after generation, focusing on the temple and the priest and sacrifices and all these things. And somebody else was always doing that for them. Now, Peter, remember, I mean, Jesus like just died very, very shortly before this. Peter was with Jesus, now Jesus is dead, and Peter's still alive, okay? So now he is pointing these Jews that we don't need priests anymore. This is like a new idea. This is new to them. Um, and he's pointing them to that uh, right here in verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. He's, he's pointing them to that as Christ is chosen as, as the precious stone and the cornerstone, you yourselves are like him. He calls us living stones. In the Old Testament, it tells us that God has given us no longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. We are living together. And you think about just even this building that we're in or the temple. This is just a stone building. But Christ's church is a living organism. Not that the gospel is changing, but his people are at work. He is at work in his people to bring glory to his name through the generations, and we are a part of that. Let's not sleep on that fact that, you know, eh, we're just going to go through kind of 2020 and, you know, whatever happens. God is at work here, and he wants to use us. He wants to use you. So he's reminding them that in spite of this turmoil that's ahead of you as you leave, let's remember who you are and who's in control of you. You're chosen you are precious. You are linked to the cornerstone, and you are a living stone. Now think again back to the, literally the situation that they're in. If you've ever moved before, one of the hardest things to do is to connect with new people, right? If, if you're new, how do I meet new people? Maybe you got a job, and you're going to make connections there, but then how else? And that's the thing. You can imagine this group of Jews as they go out, and they're leaving who are they going to be connected to? 
each other. Because guess what? They're all leaving for the same reason. You see that? And so as we gather, we are gathering for the same reason as living stones. We need each other. Just like those folks needed each other just to encourage each other of, man, you won't believe what my boss did to me. I lost my job because he found out I was, a, I was following Christ. Like that's happening. That's happening in other parts of the world right now. And so you can see the need is there because the persecution is there because there's a trial, there's a test. The bar has been raised on them. And, and we need to be doing that together. We need to be coming together as living stones and building each other up and sharpening each other and, and encouraging each other. Let me just say that back then, they weren't church shopping. They weren't just like, mm, I didn't really like that music. Did you hear that hymn that we sang? Did you see the lights in there? It was just kind of dirty. That's not happening there for these Jews. I mean, they are talking about like real things and, and real heavy, weighty things that are impacting their life. And so let's, let's identify with that. Let's see that. Peter's calling them these living stones. And then right after that, look at what he's doing. You're like living stones. You're being built into a spiritual house. What spiritual house do you think he's trying to, to get into their mind? The temple, the tabernacle right? That, that building that you and your family for generations have gone to offer sacrifices, it's done. There's no need for it. Christ has fulfilled that. And guess what he did for you? You're now in that priesthood. You don't need somebody to go before you to offer on behalf of you. Christ has completed that. And so it puts now this responsibility on them. It's kind of easy when you're in this system, kind of a idolatry, where you can just like light a candle or just kind of like, oh, I just kind of did that. I just tossed it over there and it's done away with. Now it's the priests. You know, now it's their responsibility. Not anymore. It's on us, right? And not that, not that we're paying for our sins. I'm not saying that. But there's, we have Christ as our mediator, not, you know, Pastor Brad's not our mediator, not the Pope. Jesus has done that. And we have direct access to him. Think of that. Think of the power that is there. And yet we let other things just kind of just kind of get in the way. Lord, help us. Help us not to do that. So he's building them up about this holy priesthood. They have this elect privilege. Um, the priests, they would be, they would cleanse sins. They would be clothed for service. They would be prepared for service. They would be ordained to obedience. They were to honor the word of God. They were to walk with God. They were to impact sinners. They were to be messengers of God. And above that, they had access to God. They had access. Again, think about them. Only the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies and give them access. Now Christ has literally torn that into two and given everybody access, both Jew and Gentile. That means you and me. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? As he's building them up in this time of turmoil in their life. These, and then he goes on and he talks about these spiritual sacrifices. So not only this chosen race and living stones and this holy priesthood, he brings it kind of full circle and talks about the sacrifices. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then again in Romans, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living 
sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and proper worship. You are a living sacrifice to God in everything that you're doing as you claim Christ and as he is your king and people see that, you are now honoring him and giving yourself as a sacrifice. Not as a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. Think about the power of that. That people can see Christ in you as you go through life, as you go through struggles and turmoil, and imperfectly as you are. Right? You're not going to do that perfectly. I'm certainly not. But God accounts for that because guess what? He's gracious. And people are going to see just the right little things that are going to point them to Jesus. If they're looking for you to be perfect, obviously that's not going to happen. So don't let that kind of weigh you down like, I'm not perfect. Obviously, me neither. Nobody is. Moving on to point number three. When we are connected to Christ and we are connected to each other. Again, we think about the temple, the tabernacle. Now we're getting down to the cornerstone here. You think about what the Jews had to consider as they were going into exile, as they were leaving. They were counting the cost. And now in verse uh, 6, he says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To the honor, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined to do so. So going back to the beginning, who are the builders? Who are the builders that rejected this cornerstone? I would say it was probably the, the Jewish leaders, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They had been building this Jewish system since back in the Old Testament. And if we see anything over the history of Scripture, we see that God plants something, and when men are involved, it goes sideways pretty quickly. They just twist that thing, right? And what do they make it about? Themselves. And they, they gain power from that. They manipulate the system. They add to the system. They don't keep it clean. You can just see that riddled all throughout the Old Testament and especially in the New Testament. And then guess what Jesus does? He goes right at it. I mean, he's not afraid of that. He is pointing it out right in their face in the text that I read to you. And guess what they do to him? They kill him. He was only in ministry for three years. Why so short? From the beginning, they were looking to kill him because he was turning their system upside down. I mean, you know the story where he goes in the temple and flips the table over? I mean, times 10, right? That was just, that was just very, very small for what he was doing. So again, going back to the picture of these folks, they're in exile, they're leaving. What are they building on? What are they holding fast to? One thing. Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that is pushing them through those hard times is that they're going to hold to Christ because he's the cornerstone. And for some people, they're just going to trip over him. I mean, think about the Jews that are alive today. They can't get over the fact of who Jesus is. Jesus, he's a polarizing figure. 
I think it was C.S. Lewis who said he's either Lord or lunatic. And that's, I mean, you've got to land on one of those. And so he, these people, they're just putting their whole life on this one truth that Christ is the cornerstone. As believers today, we have to do the same thing. We have to come to Christ, and it is all before him, and say, everything else can perish except I'm holding on to you. Thankfully, guess what? He's holding on to us because we would let go very quickly. And so he is the everything that, that is holding them together as not just a group of people, but individually their salvation. So who are these builders that Christ is, um, that, that are tripping over Christ? It's these rabbis, these Sadducees. It's interesting how in Isaiah, I mean, he really draws that out and he talks about it not only being a stumbling block, but also something that they're tripping over and a trap and a snare. It's like God knew from the beginning that he's going to give them this system. They're going to manipulate it and twist it. And then guess what? He's going to come back and use that as the perfect backdrop to exalt his son and make him even more glorious. Do you see that? How God's plan, he knew that. It says it right there at the end of verse 8. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. God's plan is so perfect. He's able to use even the wickedness and the evil in the world to exalt himself, even during this time, as the biggest travesty ever of the perfect God-man was killed he uses that as the best way to give himself glory. If, you can, uh, if we can understand that, what is God going to do in your life? How is he going to use you for his glory? If he could take something that was so wicked and so built, the system was so built against him, and yet he made it perfect. I mean, just the perfect timing was incredible. When you look at the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, because he was literally born right then and there. Amazing. Can't get around it. And so Christ is the cornerstone. He is the one stone that everything else is measured off of. Right? It's square. It's perfect. It's in the corner. All the other living stones are connected to each other and connected to him. Right? We are connected to him and we reflect him. We are now identified with him. Which is incredible that we would receive that gift from him, that his righteousness would be given to us. So let me ask you this. As we get down to the end here, I'll skip a, skip a couple things, but when we think about being connected to Christ, connected to each other, or that we are exiles in this world right now, those three things, what do you, you need to be reminded of? Do you need to be reminded of that you are connected to Christ as a believer? that he has paid your sin and you now have access to the Father? Or do you need to be reminded of that you are connected now to other little Christs, these living stones around you, and that we need each other as we live in this world as exiles? Do you need to be reminded of that fact? Or that you are in exile right now, that this world is not your home? Of those three, what do you need to be reminded of? Let me just read this out of Hebrews 12. He says, Therefore, since we are, have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, think of all the living stones throughout history. 
not just the people in this building, but I'm talking about like Daniel in the Old Testament and Peter in the New Testament and these Puritans and um, you know Spurgeon throughout the history. They are connected to you and to us as we are connected to Christ. Just these amazing witnesses. Let us lay aside every hindrance. Think about the power of that as these people are thinking about, contemplating, oh, what about my job? What about my family? Lay that aside. Put that down. Lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, that's, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility for sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your isn't that powerful as we think about what we're going through in life? Some of us are just, we just get drawn back and just silly little things that we don't even know about just happens. We have got to be intentional and focused on this. The main thing as Christ as the cornerstone and everything else will fall away. Let's pray.